day 19 and heading into the final stretch here for National Podcast Post Month 2023. This is our Geekville Radio Anthology of Shows for Napod Pomo. And we're shifting gears in geekery here. We are actually taking a trip into the TARDIS. This episode is for fans of Doctor Who. We do have a show, Geekville Radio, called Examining the Doctor, where myself and Mark Short from England talk Doctor Who. And most often we do commentary for episodes. If you're a fan of Doctor Who, whether it's the classic or the new show, there's something for you to like with Examining the Doctor and This one we're going to play today is one of my personal favorites because it's one of my personal favorite stories. And that was the first season of the new show. It was during the Christopher Eccleston season. It was a sixth episode simply called Dalek. Now, obviously, for copyright reasons, we cannot distribute episodes of Doctor Who without getting sued out of existence by the BBC. So you will need to find your own way to watch the episode, but you would just play this commentary track when asked to. If you've ever done riff tracks, it's a similar thing. Now, as of this recording in November of 2023, you can get the current runs of Doctor Who you can get on Amazon Prime. In the UK, you can get it on BBC's iPlayer. But if you have like the DVDs or digital copies that you've bought over the years, this should still work. So I know it sounds a little confusing, but I think it'll get explained in a little bit better detail when the show runs. So we're going to hop into the TARDIS here and hop into the episode Examining the Doctor, where Mark Short and I look at the modern classic episode, Dalek. Geekville Radio. And the Doctor. Sent by the order of Lady President Romana and the High Council of Gallifrey. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor. News and commentary on stories about everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. This episode looks at Dalek, starring Christopher Eccleston. Examining the Doctor is part of the Geekville Radio podcast family and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and at geekvilleradio.com. Hello once again, fellow Whovians and Whoviettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville and the host of Examining the Doctor. We are doing the Christopher Eccleston story, Dalek. It's the sixth episode of season one. We're doing this in celebration of Christopher Eccleston's return to the role of the Doctor for a big finish. In the next month or two, they're releasing Ninth Doctor Adventures, uh, full-blown audio stories. So, I say we because I'm not doing this alone. Joining me as usual from the propstop.wordpress.com, and he's he's certified British, Mr. Mark Short. Mark, how are you? Yes, I'm certified. But we are here for you guys to review, which is probably one of the best Christopher Eggleston episodes. Yeah, yeah. If you were to argue it is the best, I would not argue against it. Yeah, with our Carlid Mutant friends. Now, if you are new to examining the doctor, we do episode commentaries for the most part, and we'll bring you some fun knowledge about the episode and production as well as jokes. 
As a, that's what I mean when I say our signature brand of knowledge and humor. So, but if you can't watch the episode, we hope you still have fun listening to our commentary and jokes that we make. So, for those that are familiar with the show, you know the spiel from uh, by now. Get your copy of Doctor Who Dalek. It's from the first season of the revised show, the only Christopher Eccleston season. Uh, queue it up. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on iTunes. Several ways to get this show legally for free or for a small fee. So when you queue up your copy of Dalek and press play, you will want to pause this track. And then when you see the TARDIS fully materialize, then you can hit play on this track again, and we should be reasonably synced up. So get ready to pause this track in three, two, one, pause. We are back talking Christopher Eccleston and his story Dalek. The official introduction of the Daleks into the modern Doctor Who lore. And remember, the concept of the TARDIS being alive goes all the way back to the Hartnell years with the Edge of Destruction. Because the TARDIS led them here. It wasn't, they just decided to land. This was a last minute thing when they uh, bring an old monster back too in one of the display cases that she had to... Uh, remake this helmet because they didn't have one in the archives. All these are meant to be, you know, pieces of flotsam and jetsam that have been part of the Doctor's adventures or landed on Earth. Piece of a Slovene. Been <laughs> <laughs> stuffed. That, of course, is a Cyberman from the... Uh, Revenge of the Cybermen style. That was the Tom Baker era Cybermen, right? Yeah, but it should have had the proper handles on the side from the Trayton era because it should have been left over from the invasion. So they actually messed that up. Slight messed them up. Seems in hindsight, this 2012 was better than the real 2012. Well, first off, you know, unlike my gripes on a number of episodes, this one just gets pure flaws from me. This is such a good example of what Doctor Who can be. Eggleston's on top form, the sets and the effects are on top form. And, and basically it runs by as we'll find, uh, you know, in a very quick fashion because it's just so well made. And that is a great A teaser right there. Although I do have to wonder how did all of those guards get out there so fast and did they not hear them like walk around and talk? <laughs> So we got the uh, new Doctor Who music here that greeted us in 2005. And I always liked this. I think they did a great job with this. It's not quite as good as when they had the orchestral a little bit later in the tenant season. But uh, what a great opening that was. Rob Stearns. I like how it kept the melody kind of sounding similar to the original track. And this is an SA340, a.k.a. Blue Thunder, for those who remember the uh -huh. 80s. That was a piece of stock footage that was uh, got for the episode. And they referenced Bad Wolf, of course, which will be mm -hmm. coming up uh, later on in the season. This actor is obviously meant to be kind of like, uh, you know, today it would be the gentleman who has Tesla, but he would be like a Bill Gates type. Yeah, exactly. There's some elements of collectors in here too, where I can, I can see him like imagining what prop collectors are like. They got her own every single sci-fi thing has ever dropped to Earth. 
Osiris. Osiris is her name. This has fan fiction written all over it because she was in Stargate. There's one of the more annoying companions ever made for TV. When you can say this guy's worse than Adric, then you've got a problem. Boy, Van Staten is no Johnny Carson. There's certainly elements here of uh, the main guy from uh, Iron Man, isn't there? Certainly very, very, you can kind of see that, even though this is five years before Iron Man was made. Yeah, talking Tony Stark or? Yeah, yeah, there's certain, certain elements of that. One of the early names for Van Staten, the character was Will Fences to make it a play on Bill Gates. Ah, uh, <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's a bit, bit near the knuckle, that one. Yeah. I mean, Eccleston's just in his prime here. You know, this whole, that smile. I'm going to disarm you with silliness, but inside I'm absolutely serious about all this. I know it was totally his decision, but we, uh, we really missed out by not getting several seasons of him. He, he really was the right actor for this moment in time, because if he hadn't have been successful, Doctor Who would have died on the grapevine in this year. He's such an important part of it. Agreed. And even going back to the early days of the show, the Doctor has always been a little musically inclined, especially in the Peter Davison era. Nice little prop there that never showed up ever again. I guess the BBC got that hidden away. This is where modern who sometimes starts to lose me because this guy that supposedly owns the internet has never heard of unit or the doctor. You know, <laughs> I have no problem with the villain being a smug American. It works, but establishing that this takes place in 2012 and this guy's a know-it-all surely would have heard of the doctor, especially since in the pilot episode, there was a guy who pieced it all together was one of Rose, Rose's friends. So a guy in his garage can piece this together, but Van Staten can't. Just one of the things I noticed. This guy owns the internet. It's <laughs> funny. This is classic Doctor Who, though. Doctor arrives, guy questions him, tends to be human. It's, mm. it's just classic stuff. Yeah. And they're completely setting up, obviously, that he's got a museum of all these pieces. And I'm not entirely sure where they say that the Dalek, or if they even mention where the Dalek could have been uh, gotten from, you know, could be a, it was a resurrection of the Daleks, Daleks, or it could be from Day of the Daleks. But uh, they just released a, a novelization, or they're going to release a novelization of this story. I absolutely bet you that they will be referencing in that novelization where this Dalek originally came from. This was Robert Sherman's only televised Doctor Who story. He's written several more for Big Finish. And this is also the only standalone Dalek episode during Russell T. Davis's run. Every, every story from here on out that involved Daleks had multiple episodes to them. Now, there were some that came on later during Moffat's run that were standalone episodes, but this is the only one during Russell T. Davis's run. Fairly consistent that when the Doctor meets the Daleks, he's very terrified of them. 
Right. And yet he, he keeps it very much hidden inside after the initial uh, surprise. Oh, we will get to that. This Dalek is going to be very upset, of course, because they just showed us a whole bunch of drills and implements that they use and defrobus. Excellent. Ample work here. And we get the collective fanboy squeal here. Yeah, the, the camera work here with the lights and everything are just fantastic. Although, you know, the idea of putting the chains around it, that never really felt like the Dalek would be, you know, not able to escape that. Nicholas Briggs is the voice for the Daleks for all of the modern era, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> that doctor perks up a lot when he finds out he doesn't have any gun. This scene just is a moment that just typifies Eccleson's doctor here. Yeah, he really got associated with that word fantastic. The great space dustbin. Yeah. The original script had more ribbing between the doctor and the Dalek, that, you know, more jokes, but Eccleston himself had the idea just to make it more dramatic. And I'm glad he did because this really works. Everything about this here, the writing, the, the acting, the camera placements. Well, essentially, it's just two people in a room talking and it's just riveting. I love those beautiful little decals in the background with the schematics of the Dalek on it. Of course, this is a major, well, not really a major, but this is a significant redesign of the Dalek as we know it with a lot more detail on it and of all the Daleks that have ever been made, this is really my favorite. When it shows up and it's fully painted and looks beautiful again, it is just absolutely a stunning piece of design work. And I was so pleased, of course, to see later in the season, we got to see a lot more of these because they made more than the one. This dialogue is a bit of a throwback to the McCoy Dalek story you know, with the unlimited rice pudding. Well, he doesn't say it here. Yeah, remembrance of the Daleks. I've had rice pudding. I just can't imagine unlimited rice pudding. Yeah, it wouldn't be good for you. Tastes nasty. Now, this episode was written originally under the guise that the Daleks may not be available because, of course, Terry Nation, the creator of the Daleks, he, his estate owns all things Dalek, so they have to get permission in order to use them. Oh, yeah, they had to uh, go and get permission before they could write this story and be very protective. The backup plan was to use a race called Future Humans, had Daleks not been available. And I think we'd all agree that a Doctor Who without Daleks is not Doctor Who. No, that would not have been such a great episode, would it? But the race envisioned at this time for the secondary draft eventually became the Toka Flane in the David Tennant story, The Sound of Drums. Ah, oh, okay. That makes sense. Why not use a useful thing when you invented it? It's funny how electricity in some of the earlier stories actually brings the Daleks more back to life. Yeah, they originally ran on static electricity. Van Staten is played by American actor Corey Johnson. He also had roles in... X-Men First Class, 24, and in Kingsman. Yeah, I thought I'd seen him before. 
love that blue light there. Mm-hmm. Number of the Daleks, they never actually had a, a lit eye stalk in any way in the earlier seasons. And Billy Piper was a pop star before this, right? Yeah, she'd done some solo work and, and, uh, she was famous in England. I mean, certainly she was more famous as a singer than an actress. I mean, it's just one of those things you would never expect her to be a good actress. And yet she is absolutely as important to the revival of Doctor Who as Christopher Eccleston. You know, she gives a very believable, realistic performance and you totally buy it. I, I never uh, questioned her ability to act at all from the very beginning. And she's very winning, you know, mm. that smile and just the way she carries herself. I mean, I'm, I'm so glad that, that, you know, Russell T. Davis was absolutely on point with his selection and also the remaking of the TARDIS and giving it that, um, giving it that coral look. It was just perfect for redo and reboot the series. Yeah. And Rose is like, oh, the things I could tell you, but she's kind of keeping quiet though. I do have to wonder, does Rose have to flirt with like every male character that comes along? Wow. She's like 19 and she has just kind of her thing. (laughs) (laughs) Plus you get more uh, out of people when you're flirting with them and not, I would imagine in her situation. Yeah, and it, it, it works for the kids, I guess. <laughs> sure, you're just friends. If you hear us snoring on the, on the, on the soundtrack, that's just my dog. He's enjoying the episode along with us. <laughs> so basically what he's doing is he's like the internet geek who's discovering all the technology that Van Stratton has got. And it's actually a very, very interesting, I just find it amazing. He, he looks like Matthew Waterhouse. <laughs> he does actually, now that you mention it, I didn't notice that before. He's like a, like a, 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 a earth version of Adric. I mean, honestly, I couldn't wait to see the back of this guy. I think Doctor Who is at its best when it only has one companion. It doesn't need to have two or three. And I think basically the Jodie Whittaker year kind of proved that, didn't it? Just too many people. And here's your crash course in all things Dalek. Which, of course, you know, people need a reminder because most people would not, well, they would know what a Dalek looked like, but they wouldn't actually know what a Dalek does. Yeah, because it had been 16 years between the old series and the new series. So you're talking about entire generation or possibly two that probably didn't even see a single episode of Doctor Who that would probably be watching this. So the Dalek fell to Earth on Ascension Island. So this isn't actually a Dalek as from an earlier episode, like Remembrance to the Dalek. This is a Dalek that's not been in, in history. So it's part of the time war, I think, was what we find out. And this is the first time the Time War is mentioned, right? Or was it mentioned earlier? No, I think it was here. The thing with the Time War is it's something that comes in and out of Doctor Who for about the next four or five years. And then obviously with, uh, you know, Ian Hurt Doctor, John Hurt Doctor. But the the main problem with it is you just want to know more about it. And they really do the, 
best and never quite tell you exactly what it was all about. So here we learn the doctor got two hearts. I think this is the first time the doctor's appeared with a shirt off since John Pertwee. Not particularly necessary. Look, Corey Johnson here, I mean, he's nailing this role because you just want to reach into the screen and smack him. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I found the cure for the common cold, but guess what? You can't have it. Problem with people like him, of course, is they're just all eight for number one. So when he does uh, eventually meet his comeuppance, you're almost invariably going to cheer because people like him are the cause of their own destruction. Part of Doctor Who's success has always been that eventually the bad guy gets the comeuppance. Right. So there's really not a lot of wasted time in this, you know. The the point we're all waiting for is, of course, as the Dalek is going to eventually uh, get free. But it's just everything is very structured well in this episode. Beginning, middle, and end, we learn enough about what's going on that we can have some degree of idea of what's going to happen. And even the general public, I think, would clue this in pretty quickly. Absolutely. And this scene also shows how clever the Daleks can be because the Dalek here is essentially using reverse psychology. You know, he's, he's playing her. Spoiler alert. Of course. And, and let's face it, the Daleks in the previous McCoy years, et cetera, weren't always the most intelligent. This episode alone goes a long way to bringing back what was really scary about the Daleks, reintroducing you to the facts, of course, that they could fly, which totally does away with the idea that they can't get upstairs, and generally showing that, you know, one Dalek can be as deadly as an entire... Uh, spaceship full and it's just a really good example of, of just basically rebooting the concept the franchise this this whole season was about rebooting doctor who bringing new people back to it and and kind of resetting the board for all the people who had kind of drifted away from it in the latter years of the 80s and even at this time for fans of the old show they weren't really sure if this was a reboot or if it was a continuation. It wasn't until Tennant came along that it was established this was a continuation, but this is absolutely epitome of the Daleks right here. It's almost like Frankenstein coming out of the captivity. Well, it's a sink plunger. <laughs> Literally just about every joke about the Daleks since 1963. Well, the thing is that, you know, the sink plunger was there because it was just the easiest way and the cheapest way to make that prop. It's, it wasn't meant to be a sink plunger. It was meant to be what they show you in this episode, but they could never afford to do that. Right. So um, 
finally, again, we bury so many ideas and theories are buried by this episode because, you know, that sucker arm suddenly is like the most brilliant tool in the world because they, they just work out how to show it can do things that you, you have to accept that it's done all these things, right? All the other appearances of the old Daleks. And I think it just totally cements how good the original device, how good the original concept of Daleks was. And you can also see from the way the suction was used that it's an interface as well. It's almost like a, like a hand. Yeah. And apparently in 2012, we forgot fingerprint identifications existed in 2005. <laughs> and of course, Daleks are bulletproof. We see that here. We see the idea that they use electricity as a power source. Of course, this one is literally regenerated by electricity. And of course, you somehow are downloading the entire internet from one computer. Hey, wait a minute. Where's, where's Michigan? You're missing half a state there. Boy, Youpers would not be happy with this episode. Well, I'm just amazed that Utah got a show. You know, most of the time, Utah is not really featured in TV, so that was a good thing. Heck, it's not even featured in American TV very much. The Metatron was like, uh, you know, if you don't know what something is, you're going to make up a name for it. That's just another example how Daleks have been hidden by history. Now, the, the, the novelization of this, and this is another ability that the Daleks have, that they can uh, have a shield to destroy the bullets because the old adage of the old days, of course, was that they um, had an eye stalk that you could shoot out. Well, these, of course, have a shield on, so you can't use that. And that is a new idea that the interior middle section can now swing all the way around. Um, not sure because it's CGI. I'm not sure it looks that good, but the truth is a Dalek would never have always the space to swing all the way around. So it would make sense that they would have that ability. Yeah, yeah, especially since it's essentially a, a, a casing. I believe there were multiple guys working the Dalek uh, prop. So, yeah, the Daleks more today, of course, a remote control, but there was a radio control and there was a guy inside wheeling it around. The interesting thing about the gun, I should mention this because the novelization that's either out now or coming soon really goes into the idea of what extermination is. And of course, we just saw those people glow negative when they got hit. The novelization, which I think Rob Shearman did himself, that has that the, the reason the Dalek exterminates is that they hate life. So what happens is they never wanted to totally obliterate the body because it would make a mess, but they would have to clean up. So the idea is, according to the novelization, that that ray cooks you from the inside out, totally scrambles your brain and your heart, all your tissue, but leaves the outside, you know, clean. Right, right. There's no, there's no signs of a wound on the skin. Exactly. The, and the reason for that is the Daleks just wanted to make it simple for the body to be carted away. Which is horrific, which is mm. horrible, this thing. 
And and the other thing is too that that the gun is it, it it's not like they they could have come up with a way that cooked you from the inside and was kind of painless. No. The reason you scream when you get hit by the gun is because it's the most painful thing in the world and the Daleks wanted it that way. They wanted you to be in agony when you died. So I read that and it just freaking is scary, isn't it? To think that the Daleks are so cruel. Um, this, of course, is the famous better version of the Sylvester McCoy remembrance of the Dalek school scene when the Dalek goes upstairs. Exactly, yes. It's so slow, but it's brilliant because it's just like, you don't have a chance. You think you've outrun it. You joke about the fact the Daleks can't go upstairs and then it just walks up the stairs after you. It's amazing. Reason with a Dalek. Not going to happen. Yeah, that's, that's what they all say. All dead. All dead. It's just, just brilliant. Absolutely. And he, I really felt that when he wrote this, you know, he really totally got it. You know, and it was like, you know, I've got this budget. I can show this Dalek off. I can show its power. The reason this is an important episode is the Daleks had been kind of made fun of for such a long time. And you, you were like, well, it has to have an entire fleet of these things or otherwise they're not that powerful. This episode rubber stamps the fact that one Dalek potentially could rule an entire planet. And um, it's scary. It's really scary. And it did what it needed to do. It reintroduced the Daleks and made them the Doctor's greatest enemy. Level 52. wonder if this is supposed to be like Area 51, although Area 51's in Nevada. Besides, fangirls have already started tripping you. And I think, you know, to the regular watcher here, there is this element of thought that this Dalek is going to get taken out here. But as we are about to see, that is not the case. I don't get Rose here. I mean, again, it's to me, it seems like she's being uh, a little dumb again. You literally just saw this thing slaughter, slaughter dozens of people, and now you're concerned that it's looking at you? But this was written specifically to counter criticisms of Dalek tropes, you know, like climbing the stairs and the eye turning all the way around and, and such. I tell you, I, I really like the Remembrance White and Gold Daleks, but if I could have a Dalek, if I had to choose what to me is the best Dalek design, the best coloring, it is this Dalek. There's something about this Dalek that hits every single point. Well, unlike a lot of the other Daleks too, it's got some technology to it. So it kind of looks like it's got little circuitry bits and pieces and, you know, it's just the design. I just love the design. And unlike those stupid Daleks from the later episode of Matt Smith, which just were way over the top looking like Duplo or Lego colored Daleks, this colorization I mean, doesn't that look fantastic there? It really does. And it's intelligent too. It can use what it's about to do to kill all these people. It doesn't even have to fire back it with its lasers. 
And, you know, it's thinking exactly what it's doing. It's a killing machine. It's using the, the power it has to maximize killing this entire room of people in seconds. It is very good as far as a mass kill goes along. It just hit me. I think this episode may have one of the largest body counts of any Doctor Who story in history. Well, I don't doubt for one second, you know, the, the, it always seemed weird, if you remember back the day of the Daleks, that the joke was three Daleks can take over this house in the middle of England. Well, I mean, folks, this really does show you that one Dalek could have ruled the earth. There's just no doubt in my head. You know, you could say, well, what about if you fired a nuclear missile at it? Well, I think that the Dalek would have withstood it, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure that the Dalek learned all about the doctor from Rose putting her hand on it. Is that how that was? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I fed off the DNA of Rose Tyler. Oh, no, no, no. Of course, the doctor already had a chat with the Dalek early on, didn't it? That's why. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I haven't watched this episode for quite some time. I don't like to watch the episodes when we do this because I like my thoughts and feelings to be very much off the cuff. And, um, Part of the, the reason for that is just, it's like watching it kind of new again. You kind of forget things and it's hard. You know, so many times as a Doctor Who fan in the 80s through the 90s, um, I just think I watched some of these episodes so many times that I just knew them almost back to front. This is probably, of all the new Doctor Who episodes, the one that I've watched the most because there were times back in 2005, 2006, when this came out, I think I must've watched it 30 times. I just loved it. It was like someone asked me once, okay, what episode of Doctor Who would you show someone to say, what is a classic episode of Doctor Who? And folks, it's right here. It's this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's everything you could like in 45 minutes. There's nothing in here that makes me embarrassed to be a Doctor Who fan. There's no bad CGI. There's no bad monsters. There's no bad scripting. There's no bad acting. Everything about this makes me incredibly proud to be a fan of this series. You notice during that conversation that the doctor got so angry at, you know, Eccleston was literally kind of spitting up on himself there. Oh, sure. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but Eccleston wanted it left in because it shows the emotion there. It shows just how angry the doctor is. And the doctor's not somebody who gets angry very often. Yeah. No, no. They, uh, Eccleston is that kind of actor. You know, it's so weird. We only got one season of him, but we got everything from him in this season. It, it is a truly amazing thing that we look back at this and want more because 
Um, he gave everything. You know, it's only a year that we got of him. And yet when you think back, there's some dodgy episodes in it, in this series. You know, the Slovene is all a bit silly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But you know what? It, it's just so much good stuff. And, um, I feel very privileged that Doctor Who came back and I got to see this because I think this could have been a complete disaster. And what we got was a rock steady base for everything from Tennant to Smith to Capaldi. I mean, how lucky are we? How lucky? Because this could have ended Doctor Who for another 20 years. We were very lucky. Classic horror trope, no matter how slow and lumbering the monster may be, it still manages to catch up to the heroes. Yeah, I love that about that episode with Capaldi when the creature is following him and he has to stay, you know, ahead of it. Um, it's the one uh, in the lighthouse with the water and the skulls in the water. But I love this thing where you know this thing is coming after you, always following you, and you can't escape it. And eventually you find a door that you can't get through. That's very scary stuff. Writer Robert Sherman submitted 14 drafts of the script before it finally got greenlit to make the airwaves. And it's actually taken from a story Robert Sherman wrote for Big Finish for Colin Baker. Oh, really? So this is the first of the modern series to actually be made from a Big Finish story. Man, I don't know about you. Seth, but I would love to send those other 14 versions of this to see how different it is. That would be incredible. This is the type of speech that I think fans might bring to a convention to have other doctors read. Yeah, that seems to be a thing where they get other doctors to read uh, quotes from other doctors and never quite understood that myself. <laughs> I think their quotes should be their own. They earned it. Rose looking really vulnerable there because, well, because this thing is a death machine. Dalek is cruel putting the people's deaths on her just because she touched it. And I think it's a cool side effect of absorbing the DNA. Now the Dalek has gained emotions. Yeah. I, the problem with Daleks, of course, is they are very one note. And you get this problem that people just wrote for them like they were robots and that they weren't interesting and it was all monotonous and JNT used to say, oh, we've got to cut all this out of here because, you know, it's boring. And by giving them some emotion, you open up the capability of the script. And, and I think that was a really smart move. Not too much. You can't, you can't give them too much emotion. But at the end of the day, of course, they are hateful little critters. And part of the thing that's confusing is, 
they should have. They are not the Cybermen by any stretch. They have hate and cowardice and fear. I mean, if you if you look at what the way they react to the Doctor, that's totally the way they are. The big finish story that this is based on is called Jubilee, just for the record. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you that. So, yeah, I have to look that up. That'd be interesting. What, what other monster in the episode? Is it the Daleks? I think, believe it is still a Dalek, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I have to look that up. So this would have been a wonderful uh, time to start bringing out all old props here. You could have had all these old laser guns from old episodes and a million, you know, there's some prop collectors out there that have been happy to put their old props in the back of this shot. It's almost like they're trapped in the hallway from Get Smart. <laughs> it's all those doors. That little plaque underneath the eye stalk, by the way, it's got some squiggly stuff on it. That's meant to be uh, the Dalek's designation or name, I believe. The thing under the eye stalk there that kind of... Yeah, yeah, it looks almost like a, it almost looks like a signature plaque of a collectible, but it isn't. It's um, no, they just took the design and just tried to make it a little meaty. They tried to make it look more armored, um, but they never went and changed the design. They added little details to it, but there's nothing on that Dalek you don't recognize from the seventies and eighties Doctor Who. That's why it's such a genius version of this, this prop that just looks great. And as you can see, the Dalek was constructed to be the same height as Rose. So for shots like this, where they're looking eye to eye. Yeah, I never noticed that before. So that wasn't luck, but she did that on purpose. The doctor is on his way with a vacuum cleaner. The BBC and some of the producers, they originally wanted the story to end with the Dalek turning good and declaring Rose as being a friend, but Robert Sherman did not like this idea at all, understandably so, and he insisted that the Dalek remain evil until the end. Yeah. But that isn't, I mean, it is interesting because her DNA is in it. So that, that could have been an interesting concept, but now the Daleks are always going to be evil. You know, they might have flashes of, uh, well, I wouldn't say sympathy, but this, I would, I would say they did it exactly the way they should have done this stuff here with, I mean, nobody expected this thing to open up like this. This was just a classic Doctor Who moment. CGI a little ropey, you know, but the actual creature inside was all puppeteered. And I mean, doesn't that look absolutely horrific and gross? Just brilliant. And I believe this is the first time we see a Dalek like in the flesh talking. Obviously, we've seen Daleks before running around. Well, they squealed in the past and made noises, but they were, this is the first time I've ever really seen one, um, even I think with an eye, I think in the past, they didn't even have the eye. But the, the, the genius of this is just the idea that this creature 
part of what makes it what it is, is always in pain. It's always, it's life is, is absolutely horrible. It is miserable. And it, this is the chance that the Dalek finally realizes that sunlight is, is, is a nice thing. It, it, it adds so much when you know the backstory of a creature and you know the backstory of why Dal, you know, we assumed in the Tom Bake years that Daleks are just evil and horrible because they were just evil and horrible. But no, this creature is in constant living agony and it's, it gives a degree of sympathy to it. The gun that the doctor was holding looked like the gun Coulson had in the first Avengers movie. Yeah, no, it's not one that was ever used from any other episode. Um, and it's, uh, no idea really other than BBC visual effects made that, I'm sure. This episode was originally set to air earlier in the season, but was given the mid-season spot to avoid any drop-off. And it succeeded because the episode was seen by 8 million viewers with a 44% share. And for those who don't know TV ratings, the share is based on the number of TVs that are actually on at the time. So that meant 44% of the people who were watching TV were watching this episode. If you actually look at that Dalek face, it's pretty horrific because there is one eye there, but there's mm -hmm. also the other side of the face with the eye almost gone. And then the mouth is literally melted. So it couldn't even speak anymore if it tried to. That is actually completely horrific. <laughs> but that is, you know, meant to be what a person is reduced to when they're, they're, you know, they lose the ability to walk, they lose their arms, they're literally just the brain and the head um, and a decayed body in a machine. It's pretty significant here talking about the Daleks being evil to the end. Basically, the Dalek is saying it would rather die than have emotions. And this, this does seem similar to the time Peter Davison was going to kill Davros during his run, but he hesitated because it would be murder in cold blood. He couldn't just pick up a gun and shoot something. Although he does actually shoot a uncaged Dalek in the same story, I believe. So it decides to exterminate itself. I think that's the first time we've seen whatever you call those ball things come out, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Turnabout's fair play, I guess. She was able to tell it to kill itself. Oh. Yeah, she couldn't wait to get rid of her boss. And this is the poetic justice of the villain being subjected to his own treatment that he gave the guy in the beginning of the episode. To get a little bit more information about the time war and how he's the only one left. At the time, of course, we were given these little nuggets and we were just making these things 
um, you know, we're trying to work out what this is all about. And that I win. How about that? The, the master uses the same line in the David Tennant episode, Last of the Time Lords. And it's also worth mentioning, this is the first episode in the modern era to not actually show the TARDIS interior. You only see the TARDIS from the outside. Yeah, you know, that happened a lot in Sylvester McCoy's year because at one point they didn't even have an interior, of course. Um, uh, in those first couple of years of John Pertwee's run, you never saw the interior. Yeah, you, you, don't, you don't need to, uh, especially because we do see it quite a lot in this era. Um, this, of course, they take um, this chap with them but he only stays around for a couple of episodes, thank goodness. But the actor, Bruno Langley, had never watched Doctor Who. So during the entire filming, he actually had no idea how the TARDIS worked. So he didn't know until oh, after right. the episode was complete that the TARDIS was bigger on the inside. So these are wonderful moments here where we get to see next time. Uh, always loved this. It's such a great idea to bring this into Doctor Who. Yeah, because you'd see it in other shows. It would happen all the time in American shows in the 80s. Yeah. So this, of course, is the one with uh, the chap from Shaun the Dead mm -hmm. and the uh, creature hiding out inside the refrigerated room. Yeah, the, the, the weirdness, because <laughs> the opening Ed thing, that was, that was good on paper, but less so good in real life. I just thought it was a bit silly. Hello. And there you have it, Doctor Who Dalek with Christopher Eccleston. I hope you've enjoyed. That went by really quickly, didn't it? And Mark, if people want to get a hold of you in the prop stop, where can they do that? Uh, just go to thepropstop.wordpress.com. There's a, a link on there to communicate with us. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Geekville Radio. And that is one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes. It really shows the emotion that modern Doctor Who is capable of. So hope you enjoyed that show. There will be more Doctor Who to come. Just a little teaser out there. We're going to go the oldest of old school when we do go back to Doctor Who. But this has been Geekville Radio. You can find us at geekvilleradio.com. All of the social media is at Geekville Radio. We're currently on Facebook, Twitter, slash X, and Instagram at Geekville Radio. You also may catch Mark Short on certain episodes of Collector's Call because usually when they talk Doctor Who merchandise, they bring Mark in and he's always a plethora of knowledge for Doctor Who because he was a fan for years growing up in England and me, the American, the Johnny Come Lately. I have a little bit different perspective, but give us a like, give us a follow, give us a review. We're all over Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all the places you would find your podcast you can find geekville radio do a search for us let us know what we're doing well let us know what we can do better because i'm always looking for ways to improve this show so i'm going to shut the power down in a moment here in the geekville radio studios and we will see you folks tomorrow where we will dive into more classic television it's another nostalgia trip we're going to be talking the classic tv show the monsters that's what's in store for tomorrow in our continuing anthology of Geekville Radio episodes for National Podcast Post Month 2023. Talk to you folks tomorrow.